as I said, this is Fourth of July weekend. You don't want to take for granted the fact that we have some great freedoms within this great country of ours. The freedom to uh, gather for worship like we're doing today. The freedom to bear arms. Um, the freedom to speak. And we live in a nation that you hear all kinds of talk on TV and, and people um, pontificating on ideas that you don't agree with, but that's part of the freedom within our culture. And though it's not guaranteed in our Constitution, you know that you and I have the freedom to listen to that which we want to listen to, to tune in to the voices we want to hear and tune out the voices we don't want to hear. And these little children you just saw up on the screen as they grow up, obviously mom and dad have been a huge voice in their lives. Grandma, grandpa, they're a huge voice in the lives of these kids. But as they get older, there'll be other voices that'll invade their minds, voices of friends, voices of teachers, and uh, uh, voices of the culture and the media. And of all the voices that we hear in our lives, there are two very dominant voices, the voice of an evil creature called Satan and the voice of the Lord. And we've been in this series for the last month. It's called The Voice. We're taking the TV show name because we have the opportunity to, to choose to listen to one voice and to tune out to the voices we don't want to hear. And where you are today is a direct result of listening to voices. I mean, if you're in a good place in your life, if things are, are going well in your life, it's because you've listened to God's voice and you followed it. But if you're going through a real tough time, if you're in a very bad place in your life, I can almost promise you, you've listened to the whispers of an evil one who's trying to destroy your life. And you've followed that voice because the voice you trust determines the path you take. And we've been listening to um, the words of the Lord through Scripture because the way you combat the lies of the enemy is with the voice of truth. It's like noise-canceling headphones that I shared the very first week. They send out a signal that actually intercepts the signal coming in. The sounds coming in are met by the sounds coming out, and they cancel to where that voice coming in cannot be heard. And the way we counter the lies of the enemy is to counter it with the truth of God's Word. And so we've looked at areas of our personal identity, who God says we are. We looked at God's promises, what God says he'll do. Last week, we talked about how Satan is the accuser, how Satan wants to dredge up all the junk from our past and make us feel guilty and, and shameful. And he wants to drag us back into the courtroom and tell God how bad we are and unworthy we are of all the things God has promised to do for us. And yet I told you last week, when Satan wants to take you to the court, you go to the cross because it's at the cross the cross, like, uh, where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Cross over there where Jesus died for your sins and, his debt was, and your debt was paid and he said, it is finished. So you don't have to suffer again for your sins. He's already done it for you and for me. Well, today we're going to look at another area of life, the area of discouragement. Satan often wants to steal the dreams God has placed in your heart and derail you from that path. There's a lady that you'll hear about next week, but her and her husband Several years ago, Scott and Annelle Price chose to go to the mission field. They've been in Tanzania for 15 years. They, Scott retired from the army and Annelle from a nursing career, and they began to search for what God wanted them to do. And Annelle had remembered that years ago, when she was a little girl, God had planted in her heart this dream to go to the mission field. And she had put that to the side and just felt like it wasn't the right time or I wasn't the right person or it, it just isn't, it's not going to happen. But when they were in their 50s and wrestling with their future, they began to uh, listen to the Lord of what God wanted them to do. And again, this dream came back. I've called you to go to the mission field. I called you way back when. 
And they decided they were going to embrace God's calling. And they went to Tanzania not knowing what to do and how to do it, and yet God has used them in a remarkable way. I know there are men and women in this room that God has put something on your heart to do for him. And it may not be as big as going to the mission field. It might be going back to college. It might be, it might be um, charting a different career path. It might be going to be reconciled with someone. Maybe some major decision in your life that you've kind of put off. God's called you to write a book. God's called you to um, start a new ministry. And you kind of push it off to the side saying, you know, I'm hearing this voice say, um, who are you to do this? And it's not the right time. And you're going to fail if you do it. And I want to tell you that voice of discouragement is not coming from the Lord. It's coming from an evil one who wants to derail you from the plan God has for your life. Here's what I found in my own life, and I think you found too if you've been trying to follow the Lord. But the more you follow the Lord, the more you want to step out in faith, the louder comes the voice of discouragement, the stronger the resistance, and the greater the temptation to quit. And we've got to learn to fight that. We've got to learn to overcome that so we can fulfill God's calling in our lives. And you may feel the weight today, the pressure of what God wants you to do and yet all these other things, naysayers, health, economy, I mean, just pressures in your life coming around. You just feel like you're going to crush under all the weight. You just don't want to do anything, and so you're paralyzed. Today is a day that you could be set free. Today's a day I want to encourage you to step out into what God's calling you to do. It might be a really big thing. It might be some small thing, but it's an act of obedience. We're going to look at a man today, the Apostle Paul, in a book called 2 Corinthians, of how he dealt with discouragement in his life. And I hope that you find that how he dealt with discouragement can help you where you are today. So let's pray that God would speak to us, pull us out of our discouragement today. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak through your Holy Spirit. Your word is living and active. It's not just a textbook, but it's life to us. So speak and breathe into our hearts. Father, we want to go where you want us to go. Speak courage into us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be primarily just in one book of the Bible today. Actually, just one chapter. But it's found in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man that was anti-Christian for a period of life, experienced a great conversion, and began to be the biggest proponent of Christianity in the early times of the church. And he wrote this book called 2 Corinthians, which really um, is an explanation of all the challenges he faced and how people in ministry face these um, potentially discouraging um, moments and how he fought through them, how he sought the Lord through them. And we're going to find as we go through this, this one great truth, that the God who is for me is greater than anything that comes against me. That the God who is for me will help you get through anything that comes against me. So I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll see that right away in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. He's talking about his ministry of preaching, of evangelism, and he says, in this ministry, we won't lose heart because the potential is, in ministry, you're going to have reasons of discouragement, which is another word for losing heart. When Paul first began, you can imagine the discouragement he must have faced. Immediately after his conversion, he went to a city called Damascus, and it said that the people opposed him there, and so the believers began to protect him. And it says that one night, just picture this, Paul is put in a basket, Middle of the night, he's put in a basket. They find a hole in the wall. They, they shove the basket out the hole of the wall, and they lower him down with rope so he can get outside the gates of the city and escape. 
How's that for feeling called to ministry? God, you want me to do what? Why is everybody against me? And every city he seemed to go into, he met opposition. I mean, if you think Donald Trump has it rough when he tries to have a rally and there's, and there's mobs trying to disrupt the rally, this is what Paul's facing everywhere he goes. There's people trying to oppose what he's preaching. And it got so bad that in one city, the city of Lystra, Paul is preaching, and the guys, get this, they literally pick up rocks, softball-sized rocks, and they pummel him. They just pound him with these rocks to the point that he is lying on the ground dead. It says they drug him out of the city and just left him there to die. And believers gathered around him. It doesn't say what they did. It just says the believers gathered around him and he was raised up. I believe that those believers prayed over Paul, who was dead right there, and God resurrected him because God still had a mission for Paul to fulfill. But it went on and on that every city he went into, he just seemed to find opposition. People would drag him before authorities. He got thrown into prison not once, but twice. And after he was in Philippi and then in Caesarea, they were moving him by ship to Rome to another prison. And while he's sailing to Rome as part of the, the, the crew of prisoners, a storm hits. This storm just, just rocks this boat. I mean, this is a massive storm. It says they could not see the stars at night or the sun by day. Now, that is a storm. It's a whale of a storm. It is so, it's so desperate, they throw all their cargo overboard just to survive. And God tells Paul, I'm going to save every man on this ship, but the ship will not survive. Now, think about that. It's like saying, you're going to get in an accident, and the car's not going to make it, but you are. I mean, that's kind of scary, right? And Paul's told this, and sure enough, God gets him through the storm. The ship just is blown apart. And when they get near land, people are holding on to pieces of wood, and they're swimming to the shore. But right before they do that, there's this interesting picture. It says that they hadn't eaten for two, day, or for two weeks. Paul takes food out. They break out the food and says, it's time to eat, boys. He takes bread. It says he lifted it up. He gave thanks, broke it, and ate it. It's almost like he's getting ready to take communion. Doesn't say he had juice, but he's got the bread there doing just like Jesus did the night of Jesus' Last Supper. Lifts up the bread, gives thanks. Now, when you've just gone through a harrowing experience, are you going to be the kind of person that says, God, what in the world were you up to? Or are you the kind of person that's going to say, thank you, God, for your faithfulness? See, I think one of the greatest testimonies to getting through discouragement in our lives, to the situations that would make us feel like we should have quit, we should have turned our backs on God, is when we can get through that moment in our lives and look backwards and say, God, thank you. Thank you that you were faithful. Thank you that you proved yourself true in the midst of this circumstance. God wants us to to move forward. And feelings of discouragement may simply be a good sign. It's a good sign that God's up to something. When Dr. Lawson was here a couple weeks ago, he shared with me that in ministry, quite often on Monday mornings, he felt like quitting. And the reason is, and a lot of preachers feel this way, is it's an exhausting process getting ready to preach on Sunday and delivering a sermon. And then when you wake up Monday morning, it's like, let's do it all again. And in the back of your mind, you're, you're, you're dealing with comments, you know, comments of people that says, you know what, we're not being fed. Or we could have stayed home and listened to Joel Osteen today or Andy Stanley. Or, or maybe your wife says, you know, that wasn't one of your best ones today. And, and this little voice is whispering while you're even writing the sermon of, uh, don't you have anything new to say? Uh, can't you be more funny? Uh, can't you go deeper into the scriptures? 
I mean, it's a tough process as you're going through because all these words of discouragement are, are bombarding you. And, and the temptation is, I, I just want to give up. I just want to stop and, and go do something that's, that's less stressful. I mean, we all have jobs and situations like that where we're tempted to give up. But one of the books that I read for this series that was a great inspiration is called Crash the Chatterbox by a guy named Stephen Furtick. He's a pastor of Elevation Church in North Carolina. And he, and he says this statement that I think is so profound listen to it. If you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil lately, it may be because you're running in the same direction. Hmm. That's good, isn't it? Maybe the reason things are going so well in your life is you're not messing with the king of darkness. That if if you're going through discouragement in your life, it's not because you're outside the will of God. It's actually because you're right in the middle of the will of God. You know, people will often say, like, well, the safest place to be is the center of God's will. Yeah, kind of. It's also the scariest place. It's a place where you're going to get stretched. You're going to get pushed. You're going to have darts from the enemy. See, when you're driving next to him heading the same way, all he does is look over to you and smile and wave. Keep going the direction you're going. Doing good. My hand's off to you. You're doing it without my help. But when you go against Satan... There's going to be friction all the time. He's going to get in your lane, flash his headlights, saying, I'm coming, coming right at you. Turn around, and you want to just keep moving forward. So if you're going through a time right now where, where maybe, maybe in your life you're just facing a lot of discouragement, and you feel like, oh, I thought God wanted me to do this. It's not going well. I'm hitting all these walls. I'm hearing these voices that are very discouraging. I, I want to quit. Know this. It's very likely you're on exactly the right path. Because if you, if you weren't, Satan wouldn't bother you. Paul goes on to say in this, in this um, chapter, I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. When you face the discouragement and the resistance, know this, it's an opportunity to reveal Christ in me. I call it the sponge effect. You know what? You don't know what's inside of a sponge till you squeeze it. You know, it could, it could be water, it could be apple juice, you know, it could be any kind of fluid in there, but you don't really know until pressure is applied to the sponge, and all of a sudden you squeeze it, and stuff comes out, and we're like sponges. You know, we come to church, we've got our SpongeBob face on, you know, we're happy, you know, we're, we're, we're eating Krabby Patties, you know, everything's really good in our lives, we're just happy, and couldn't be better, and good day, and all this, but... But all of a sudden, we get outside of church, we face reality, and there's financial pressures, there's health concerns, there's issues we're dealing with at work, there's, there's emotional concerns in our lives. I mean, there's all these pressures that weigh in on us, and what they do is they start to squeeze us, and then you start to find out what's really inside of a person. And when you hear a person who's going under a lot of stress, start losing it, I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they cuss a blue streak, they throw things around. Uh, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to pray. It's like, okay, I saw what was in that sponge. 
See, this, when you squeeze the sponge, you find out what's in them. When you squeeze the Christian, and Satan likes to squeeze Christians, and sometimes what he finds out is you don't have a lot of faith, do you? Because it's during those moments where you're going through the, the squeezing, you find out, am I still holding on to God just as much as I did before? Because Paul, Paul had that squeezing going on. He used words like hard-pressed, I'm perplexed, I'm persecuted, I'm struck down. He says, all these things are happening to me. And I'm following God's will in my life. And yet all these things are happening. But in the midst of those, he says, but I'm not crushed, I'm not in despair, I'm not abandoned, and I'm not destroyed. Remember that little toy when we were kids called the Weeble? Weebles wobble, but they don't what? Yeah, you guys had one of those. I mean, you pop them, and they go down, and they just come back up. You know? Um, That's what Paul's like. He says, you know, we get knocked down when we're right back up. You know, we get struck down, but we're not destroyed. Satan can beat us. He can even hurt our bodies. We can carry around what looks like the, the death of our bodies, but Christ is revealed in us. He says, we are like clay pots. We're like clay pots that have a treasure inside. You know, clay pot is just, just normal. It's earthen. It's made of the soil. It, it's just common. But within this clay pot, he says, is this incredible treasure. It's Christ in us. And when you start to, to go through times where you're cracked and broken, what reveals um, through, your, through your cracks is Christ. Because in the moment of your brokenness, people see you crying out to the Lord, see you live for the Lord, see you continue to honor the Lord, and they see Christ in you. That's what he says is the beauty in the midst of all this. It's an opportunity for Christ to be revealed. You think the discouraging time is, is coming upon you because, you know, you, somehow you failed God, somehow you disappointed God, and God says, no, this is a, I'm allowing this to happen so people can see me in you. So don't be discouraged by this. Keep pressing forward in the midst of this difficult opportunity. For my 50th birthday a few years ago, uh, I wanted to do something I'd never done before, and so I wanted to hike a 14er. Some of you have done many. I've never done one, but I wanted to do Pikes Peak for my 50th birthday. So a small group of people from this church joined me, and we set out early one morning, and we hiked all the way up Pikes Peak. We came all the way back down. By the end of the day, it was, it was 25 miles round trip. And you know, when you go to the different elevations, you get to see just different terrain. And there's a field up there as you're hiking up Pikes Peak where these... Um, there's these sparse trees that are very gnarly looking. I mean, they're all twisted up. I mean, the, the limbs go all kinds of different directions. There's no bark on the tree. What I found was the, these are called bristlecone pines. And they're a very unique tree uh, in the United States. They're only found in about six states on the western um, side of our nation. They're, they're, they're found at very high elevations. There's a group of trees of bristlecone pines in the Sierra Nevadas. They found some of the trees are 5,000 years old. These are living creatures, 5,000 years old. And they, they say just by, by dating these, these trees and looking at them and, and testing them, they, they began to grow. They took root about the time the pyramids were being built in Egypt. Well, that's a long time ago. And they, they believe that in order for something to last that long, they must have ideal living conditions, which means they, they've got a lot of access to moisture and nutrients, there's a warm enough climate so it can grow. I mean, all these conditions were just right for these trees, but what they discovered with this unique pine tree is that it was the exact opposite, that there's not much moisture at, you know, 10,000 feet elevation. 
In fact, the ones in the Sierra Nevadas get about 12 inches of moisture a year. What they also find is not very warm and nice climate for growth. Uh, there's bone-chilling winds that, that cut through there, ripping the bark off these trees. And almost in response to the winds, these trees just, just tighten up and, and curl up, but they continue to endure. They don't have much dirt up at that elevation, and yet the roots find the nutrients they need, and they're good stewards of what God has provided through nature. They've got a great tolerance for stress and ability to fight off disease with the resin that's in their, their wood. They don't grow very tall. The tallest ones are about 60 feet, but most of them are pretty short trees. It reminds me of the fact that, that if you want to endure through all the discouraging, harsh elements around you, you've got to be like a bristlecone pine. You've got to be a good steward of what God has given you. Yes, you'd like more, but this is what God has given you. Make the best of it. You've got to fight off disease. Be resistant to the onslaught of, of the things that can come in to attack you. And you've got to be content to maybe be a shorter tree. You have to be content to be who God has called you to be. See, God's called us to endure. And, and we endure all those times where we're pressed down, shaken, knocked down, um, because Christ is in us, and Christ allows us to rise up and stand strong. Paul goes on in his story here, in his testimony, saying, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All, excuse me, I'll stop right there. I'll get to the next verse. Paul says here that I will not speak what I feel. I will speak what I believe. I believe, therefore I'll speak. I shared with you a few weeks ago that feelings can be very deceptive. That's why we don't want to speak what we feel. So many people make decisions based on feelings, uh, kind of like buyer's remorse. I mean, I'll hear stories sometimes of someone who says, we were just out Friday night, and we decided to go look at cars. And then, uh, you know, we weren't planning to buy a car, but I couldn't help it. Here's what I got. And they got this new big truck or sporty car that they never planned to get, but the smooth salesman they talked to convinced them it was the right thing to get and the right time. And so now they've got to convince all their friends that it really was a good decision. So the friends ooh and ah and say, oh, man, I wish I had something like that. I wish I had your car in the back of their mind saying, I don't want your payments. I don't want the insurance bill. And, but you're still trying to feel good about that fancy car that you had that you could hardly afford until about a year later when finances are really tight, you decide, you know what, we made a bad choice. So now we're going to trade it back in scale down to get another vehicle that actually has four wheels and air conditioning and heat and can get us to the exact same place as the more expensive car was able to get us to. And we do so many things in life where feelings start to drive us. I mean, you eat things you shouldn't eat because they feel good. You watch things you shouldn't watch because of how you feel. You say things you shouldn't say because of how you feel. You, you do things or you don't do things you should do because of how you feel. And feelings, they're, they're God-given, but they're very deceptive. They're not a good basis for determining. And if you always spoke what you felt, man, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. We want to speak what we believe. And what we believe is what God says is true. And so when I look at myself and I'm going to talk about who I am, I want to talk about who God says I am. That's why I've actually taken these four statements we've looked at 
these last three weeks and today from that book, Crash the Chatterbox, because I think they're great statements to fight the attacks of the enemy. First of all, who God says that I am. I want to speak who God says that I am. I may feel terrible. I may feel like a worm. I may feel like a loser. But God says I'm a child of the king. God says I'm chosen. God says I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. God says I'm more than a conqueror. That's what I want to speak because that's what I believe, even if I don't feel it. We learned um, two weeks ago that God says he will. You know, when Satan causes doubts and fears about what's going to happen in our future, we remind ourselves that God says he will provide for us. A lady met me in the foyer today, and we talked about that, how God says that I will provide for you. I I care about the, the birds in the air, and I care about the flowers in the field, and I care even more about my children. I will take care of you as you seek first the kingdom. He says he will be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He will never leave us or forsake us. And so I'm going to speak, not what I feel, again, but what God says. Last week we talked about that God says he has, dealing with our past, what God has done with our record, our sins. And God has washed me. He's, he's forgiven me. He's redeemed me. He's made me born again. God has done all that because, because he loves me. It's not based on how I feel. I may not feel born again. I might not feel washed, but that's, that's not true. What God says is true, and I'm going to stand on what he says. And so today, our, our mantra is, God says I can. When Satan starts to bring discouragement and whispers those little lies, you can't. You'll never. Why do you think it's you? You'll never be as good as somebody else. I reminded of the fact that God says I can because Jesus lives in me. One of my favorite verses memorized when I was a kid, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Now, does that mean I can fly like a bird? He said I could do anything. Well, not exactly anything. Anything that God calls you to do. Because Paul was writing from prison, and he was, he was sharing how he could endure prison, and yet he could endure prosperity, whether good or bad times. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is bringing you through, you can do it. Why? Because Christ is in you, and Christ will give you the strength. God will do more than you can imagine through him who dwells within. And then Paul Um, ends this paragraph by saying, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I think one of the things that helps us get through discouragement is reminding ourselves that it's not about us, it's about the glory of God. Because it's very easy to get an assignment from the Lord where God's prompting you to go do something and you say, you know, I really don't feel like doing it. I'm not up to that, Lord. And in our minds we're thinking, well, if I don't do it, I'm the one who loses. But that's not true. In fact, there are other people who lose more than you. Your obedience translates into someone else's blessing. And when you don't fulfill the things God called you to do, other people don't benefit. But when other people benefit, they turn around and they praise God. And God gets more glory lifted up to Him because we've been faithful. Remember that parable of the guys who got different amounts of talents? The first one got five, and he duplicated those. And, and the master said how wonderful and blessed he was. And the guy had two. He doubled those. The master told him how blessed he was and how he could come and share in his happiness. But the man who received one didn't do anything with it. He actually buried it. And the reason he buried it was because he said, I basically didn't want you to get all the credit for this. And I know you're a shrewd man. I know you're a hard-driven guy. And I was afraid, and so I hid it. 
If we think it's just about us and what we get from it, we're, we're missing the point that there's a master who's wanting to see his name become greater. And the reason God's called you to do something isn't just for your happiness, though he wants you to be happy in doing it. It's because there's someone who will benefit. For example, if God put on your heart to, to start a ministry and you said, you know, ugh, that's a lot of work. That's just going to consume a lot of time. I really don't want to do it. From God's point of view, God's looking down and saying, but your refusal to do that ministry is hindering the ministry I'm wanting to do through you. God's put on your heart to write a book. And you says, I, I don't want to commit to that. That's going to take a lot of my time. God says, but I have people who need to hear what you have to say. I have people who will surrender their lives to me because of your faithfulness. A couple weeks ago, a, a lady showed up at our church with her daughter. And um, in their family, whenever you turn 18, you get, a, you get to kind of do whatever you want to do. You get a special treat. And so this girl who turned 18 had lived a pretty kind of mundane life, and she didn't know what she wanted to do for her future, but she talked to her mom and decided they were going to go on a tour across the United States and visit several churches and cupcake stores. Now, I don't know what those two have together, but churches and cupcake stores. And so one of their stops was Colorado Springs, and they looked up on the internet to find a cupcake store. They'd go and eat a cupcake and a church they would visit. And they found on the internet through their search that they thought Pikes Peak Christian Church looked like a church that they should stop by. So they came by one day. I wasn't available. And, and actually, only one of our pastors was available at the moment. It was Pastor Matt. Now, oftentimes, if some strange thing like that happens and someone's just passing through, um, a lot of times people will say, like, we really don't have time for you. But Pastor Matt took time, talked to this mother and the girl. And the girl was really asking, I, I don't know what God wants in, for me for my life. And he began to share with her that God had actually given her some gifts and that she just needed to be faithful in finding what God wanted her to do with those gifts. And as he talked with her about her future of what she could see, um, she began to cry. A couple days later, I called up this couple. And I, since I didn't get to meet them personally, I said, hey, uh, how's your tour of the, of, the, of the cupcake shops and churches going? And... Um, the mom said, out of all the places we visited, so far a highlight was your church in Colorado Springs. She said, we stopped at a lot of churches and only two pastors made time to talk with my daughter. And the other pastor that talked with her thought we ought to see a counselor because he had no clue how to answer her questions. But he said, your pastor, Pastor Matt, sat down and talked to my daughter and she was so blessed by that conversation that she's been thinking through what God said through him. You never know what that little act of obedience of faithfulness to the Lord can do for someone else. I mean, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to someone in my name, as long as that water is not from security, <laughs> you get a cup of filtered, bottled, pure water in my name, you will not lose your blessing. God wants us to be faithful. And I think sometimes we get trapped in saying, well, it doesn't affect anybody if I don't do what God's called me to do. And it does. It has an effect on a lot of people. When I think of Fourth of July, and I think of the subject of discouragement, there's, there's a man I became aware of a few years ago in a more personal way. Of, um, my wife and I traveled through Illinois, and we happened to drive through Springfield, which is the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln. There's a big museum there. We went inside it. And man, I was so caught up in his life and what he'd been through and all the discouragements. I mean, he was engaged to a gal and she died before they got married. He lost eight different political elections. He tried um, two business ventures and they failed. When he ran for president of the United States, people called him um, a Yahoo. 
and a gorilla. And when he fought to, to, um, fought to emancipate the slaves, half of the country was against him. And Abraham Lincoln was asked, what was his secret to overcoming discouragement? He said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. And some of you are in that exact same place. You are overwhelmed by discouragement. Things around you are pressing in. You feel, you feel um, crushed. You feel knocked down. And God wants you to know that he's with you. And that you can do it through the Christ who is in you. Whatever dream he's put on your heart, whatever that next step of obedience is in your life, that you can do it. Some of you, it might be as simple as walking in that watery baptism, surrendering your life to Jesus. Some of you might be starting that ministry, going back to college, venturing out in something God's called you to do. Today, I want you to know that you can overcome the whispering, deceptive lies of the enemy by believing this. God says, I can. 